This is Privacy Matters, the data protection podcast from Be Secure. Welcome to Privacy Matters, a series of podcasts brought to you by Be Secure in association with Channel 103. In each episode, we're talking about data protection in the real world, what it means for you, your rights, and your business. And we'll be looking at what's likely to happen in the world of data protection in the months and years ahead of us. In each episode, we will be focusing on one aspect of data protection, mining the expert knowledge of Brian Siney from Be Secure. They're a niche consultancy business providing professional services to clients here in the Channel Islands, across the UK and the wider European Union. Brian's got more than a quarter of a century of experience of both commercial and financial services businesses in Jersey. He's worked in some very senior finance roles and was Group Finance Director of one of Europe's fastest growing online beauty retail businesses, Feel Unique. Thank you, James. In this episode, we'll be talking about data protection from the point of view of a business owner. What should you be doing? What should you expect? Brian joins us now. Let's start with a look at the global picture. What are some of the key themes around the world of data protection as it relates to business? It's quite an exciting time in data protection in particular. And for your listeners, they may not be very familiar with Max Schrem. Max Schrem is a privacy advocate. He is an Austrian lawyer who brought a case against Facebook back in 2013, I think it was saying that they were not allowed under the data protection laws to transfer his data out of Europe over to America. And would you believe over that period of time, he's been very successful in getting the legal framework, which covers all of the data transfers from Europe to America, struck down as unlawful, the safe harbor scheme and the latest one, the privacy shield. And what this shows us is this Herculean effort of a EU citizen taking on the big tech companies. How do they do it? Can they be successful? And this particular case proves he can be. And what's really, really interesting is in the next couple of weeks, this Herculean battle is about to reach its peak, where the Irish regulator, who unfortunately, by accident or by design, I think it's more by accident, finds herself in the position of being the lead supervisory authority who must enforce GDPR against the likes of Facebook and the big social media companies. And it filtered all the way through to the Supreme Court, over to Europe, to the Court of Justice, and it's come back again. And Facebook are trying to prevent them issuing fines to implement the rule around international data transfer. So the Irish regulator has been told last week by the Irish High Court to get on and implement the law. There are no more avenues. You must implement the law. So it will be fascinating to see what's going to happen next. So the regulator will be instructing, I'm sure, Facebook to stop data transfer from Europe to the US. The question is, will they or won't they adhere to it? So that's a really, really exciting case to watch. What are some of the consequences for an organization like Facebook, whose very business model depends on data whizzing around the world? Potentially, how could it all unravel for them? When you think of Facebook, a private company with over 2 billion customers, they are really dictating what's good for everybody. They're dictating the standards of privacy, dictating the standards of what is acceptable in social media. And as you well would recognize, many countries have different values, different cultures, and they do not agree with what's happening at the moment. 
And we can see that both through the interference with elections, the interference with policing, the online abuse that's happening at the moment. And of course, one of the, I think, fair criticisms is Facebook should be doing more. And I think this is the real crux of the situation. Who is going to police these global businesses? They're bigger than any country, and now they're bigger than any community of countries. So it's really, really important that this will happen. I think Facebook themselves will try to resist and resist. And I think ultimately it'll come to the Americans to decide, actually, you are overstepping the mark and probably using anti-competitive laws rather than privacy will end up either breaking up these companies or making it a situation where they will have to adhere and toe the line with the respective laws. In a, in a way, it almost feels like history repeating. If you think back to uh, was the 1960s and the 1970s and the breakup of the big telecoms monopolies in the United States creation of the so-called baby bells. This feels like a modern iteration of that in, in some respects. And, and we heard that Amazon bought MGM. So you have these big companies extending into these industry sectors that will end up being monopolies and will be incredibly difficult to police if they don't do something with it now. You're listening to Privacy Matters, the podcast series exploring the world of data protection and privacy, powered by Be Secure. From a global perspective, a lot of interesting high-level stuff, if you like, taking place in the world of data protection. How does that relate to businesses in, say, Jersey? I'm talking about Be Secure. How do you go about doing your role? What are some of the things you're saying to companies that you're dealing with? An example of what happens is I would get an invitation to go and meet a company. When I go into the company, you will often find senior management confused as to what they need to do to implement and adhere to the GDPR law. And what often happens is that the senior executive will explain to you that the lawyer talked about the law or reiterated the law, but actually didn't apply to their business processes and their business sector. And then with all due respect to the technology people, you'll have the technology people talking in tech speak. So the poor executives are sitting listening to the lawyers on one side, the tech speak on the other, and not fully understanding what they need to do next. And that is the crux of the problem in lots of businesses. Either the small ones, the big ones, the medium-sized, they all face the same issue. It is also an issue around having the proper skill set, having the budgets for these particular roles, and understanding the interconnection between security being technology, we all understand cybersecurity, and understanding what the customer expectation is and what happens in the middle. And that's the key part of our introduction and our start of our work with these businesses. So that's the starting point. What are then some of the, the key steps on the journey to being a fully compliant, a fully aware business when it comes to data protection? I will tackle that in two parts. The first part is just very quickly look and remind ourselves again at what was all the excitement about in the first place about GDPR. So what I normally do is I start off the basics. Let's have a look at the principles of the data protection law. How did they change? What does it mean for business? Let's look at the rights of the citizens. What does that mean in today's world? And the third aspect is actually looking at the GDPR law. And I very quickly just race down through it here. We're all familiar with the big fines that have been publicized with GDPR, the 4% of global turnovers. We're all aware of the strict deadlines for reporting within 72 hours and one month for the subject access request. We're aware of the tightening of consent around cookies. We're aware of the enhanced data subject rights. But the one that people forget is that you, the company, has to prove to the regulator you are compliant. 
that is a new feature of the obligations. And that's where people get stuck. If I walked in as an inspector on behalf of the regulator and say, I hear you, I understand the work you're doing, but prove it to me. That is where it all falls down. And the other things for people to be very aware of is around the territorial scope reach of the law. Any company outside of Europe is obliged to consider the GDPR requirements. And what does that mean for their businesses and appointing representatives in the EU? And then we come into the international data transfers. So we start off by just revisiting the law, understand what their lack of knowledge or their knowledge base is in relation to the law, and we start from there. So we are three years into the GDPR. Most people have maybe done a good start to the GDPR compliance, but I always start off with the 12 steps. Very quickly, the first question, who looks after data protection in a business? And you'd be very surprised. It falls between many stools. Nobody is taking ultimate ownership in some companies. The second thing we look at is the information register, or otherwise known as the data mapping exercise. If you don't know where your data is, how are you going to be able to manage it? We look at the risk of the business. and This is a key point, risk. If I'm a small business selling sweets in a corner shop, I'm not as risky as somebody who's operating in the medical sector or in the financial services sector, the regulated sectors. So we understand and and map out where in the risk spectrum your business is because it does dictate the next couple of steps. We talk about the lawfulness of processing. What do you do? Are you doing it correctly? And have you got the lawful basis of doing it? And what that means is you can't just get a set of data, do task number one with that data, and then decide I'd like to do task number two, three, and four. There is a purpose limitation to what you're doing with your data. Some businesses forget about that. They have customer data and they say, I'd like to sell other products to those customers. And you can't extend by default to selling other services and products that were not there at the start. Then we look at policies and procedures. And data protection is around three things, people, processes and technology. Understanding what work is being done in those areas. Training is quite important. Understanding what skill sets you have within the business. And then the next part is the third-party contract review. Who are your suppliers? Have you made sure that they're working to the same high standard you're expecting to work at? And that catches a lot of small, medium-sized business out because they would have used technology, agency workers, whatever, in the provision of services for their businesses, but they have not checked that they are compliant. And for lots of businesses, we explain, if you're doing it correctly, it won't be you that drops the ball in data protection. It's going to be one of your service providers or one of your suppliers. And that's the risk of them getting you into trouble. And we really just go through that stepped approach to make sure, number one, they understand it. Number two, what work have they done in that space? And then we ultimately come to the key point of what remedial work can we do with you? Uh, Be secure itself. We do not bring teams of people into your business. Why? Because you have the staff within your business. Your staff should know your business. They should know your systems and they should know your customer data. So that's where we would actually our role be project leader working with a multidiscipline team within your business. And that works really well. This is Privacy Matters, the data protection podcast series from Be Secure, the Channel Islands experts in data protection, advice and services. How does your approach differ according to the scale of the business? I guess on one hand, you might be dealing with a sole trader all the way up to a multinational, you know, multi-jurisdictional finance company, for example. 
One of the key things for us to understand really is, especially the bigger businesses, they should have all of the systems in place already. So the work with the big businesses is to enhance what they should have already in place. And that can, if I pick two examples in particular, when businesses looked at GDPR, they put in a lot of bespoke systems. They created their own systems for document recording and management. And now when we come out three years later, we discover those systems are not scalable. They do not have all the bells and whistles that's required to show compliance to a regulator. And what we're now seeing is we're assisting businesses to select more scalable technologies. I use a phrase, let the technology do the heavy lifting. Don't reinvent the wheel, but you do need to choose carefully application, a system that will allow you to be compliant, but automate as many of these processes as possible because you do not want to be bogged down. For smaller businesses, we really do pair it back. And in JOIC, our Jersey Office of the Information um, Regulator, they have very good guides for startup businesses, for smaller businesses to be able to get them started. They have a toolkit, which effectively pr provides the basic templates for them to use. So the information is there, the guidance in there. Where we come in is actually sense check the work that's being done, sense check their approach, and to make sure that they don't have gaps within their compliance and that they don't overdo the compliance for a smaller business. It needs to grow with the business. So when you start small in phase one, it's a particular set of compliance and moving upwards as your business grows. But it's very important to keep an annual review of your compliance to make sure that you don't forget how this is meant to fit your business when you're growing quickly. At Be Secure, you've worked with a variety of businesses, large and small, in a variety of jurisdictions. What are some of the common challenges you come across trying to embed data protection culture in various organisations? Typically, what you will find is data protection is project number nine or ten. It just barely gets into the top ten of projects. And you need to be very practical and understand people are very busy running their businesses. Because if they drop the ball in relation to financial regulation, they'll lose their business license. They have to be very careful around cybersecurity, etc. And data protection, when you're speaking to people, it's just in there. It's just getting in the top 10. So the reason I say that, sometimes it doesn't get the focus and sometimes it doesn't get the budget. And more importantly, it doesn't get the urgency to get the projects up and running and get them completed quickly. And if you look back over the last two years in particular, you've had COVID-19. And you've also had Brexit, big distracting projects and very fundamental projects to the lifeline of these businesses. So one can understand that businesses are slightly behind the curve in relation to data protection. But the key thing around it is, number one, is that businesses sometimes do not really have the proper structure in place, the roles and responsibilities. Who is going to lead data protection? We will always get answers in relation to who the lawyer is. We'll always get answers to who the technology person is. But actually, who owns data protection within that company and really pulls together the results of all the investigations and uh, discovery uh, tasks that have to happen? So not understanding roles and responsibilities. Number two is bespoke systems are now creating a handicap in the relation to efficient processes for businesses. They're now getting bogged down into bespoke systems. You build a system, three years later, the person who built it leaves. The people you've just trained, they leave. And then this box in the corner, nobody knows what to do with it. 
So businesses are now experiencing that restraint and handicap in relation to their efficient processes. And now is the time we engage with them to look bigger, look in a more holistic way of getting proper computer systems that are scalable, cover off all the key angles, and that allow you to have that continuity regardless of whether staff or management change within the business. So they're the sort of key points that I certainly have come across. Heaven forbid, but should the worst happen and I get a data breach that attracts the attention of the regulator, what are some of the things I should immediately do? How should I respond to an impending investigation? Well, the first thing I would advise business is to look at your guidance. Where is your guidance? Where is the incident response plan? If you do not have an incident response plan, you will waste so many hours, it's unbelievable. If you have a response plan, it's written in front of you what the steps are. It tells you where to look and what to do next. And that's really, really key. The key part around the immediate response is, number one, understanding what's happened. If it's a physical thing, the file is missing, I cannot see the file. We all understand that. But when it comes to digital servers, we don't know how long the hacker has been into your system, etc. So having a proper technology response plan in relation to cybersecurity is critical. Trying to understand what has been affected Maybe not all of your data has been affected, maybe some of the data, but what data is it? So understanding, going back to this information register, understanding your data mapping, what data have you in your systems? And did it affect your head office or was it your supplier? So there's key tasks about discovering where the incident has occurred. Remembering you have 72 hours to report to the regulator. But when I say 72 hours, It's about informing the regulator that an incident has happened. Try and give as much information that you have available. But if you need more time, you're allowed more time. The regulator will allow you to extend that time to go and get more information. Remember, at the end of the day, it's all about assessing the high risks to the rights and freedoms of people. And when I talk to businesses about this, I would simply ask them, can you explain to me what it's meant by the rights and freedoms of data subjects. Do we understand what that means? And it's really interesting. If there is a data breach, the first thing we need to understand is what type of data is it? Is it an email or is it all the medical records of your patients? So the scale of the breach is quite important, understanding the type of information, the categories of data. And on the higher end, in relation to the risks to the rights and freedoms, that's the most critical one. Not only do you have to inform the regulator, you will now have to consider informing all of the data subjects that have been affected. And you can imagine the embarrassment of the company having to inform all of their customers that they have been hacked and the data has been stolen, whatever the incident might be. So just to show very clearly what the rights and freedoms of data subjects are, is around assessing when the data is lost, you've lost control of it, it's out there somewhere. Could it cause physical, material or non-material damage to the customer? Could it cause discrimination to the customer? Race, religion, trade union membership, sexuality and other aspects. Could it lead to identity theft and fraud? Could it create financial loss? Could it damage reputation, loss of confidentiality and authorised reversal of pseudonymization if you have it in your business? And that is one of the key parts of the conversation when we talk about incident response plans and having an understanding of what does it mean? Where on the spectrum is the risk? Is it low risk? Is it high risk? And understanding what the effect on the rights and freedoms 
is the key point. This is Privacy Matters, the data protection and privacy podcast with Brian Sione. So businesses have had a lot to contend with over the last 18 months, as we mentioned earlier, Brexit and coming out of the end, hopefully of the global pandemic. What are some of the general tips for businesses dealing with data protection? The first one is post-COVID-19. You need to stop and think, how has your business changed? Lots more businesses have now found themselves having to go online. They're doing more remote working. Their business fundamental business systems and processes have changed. So the first thing is go back and have a look at how has your business changed? What's changed? Make sure you update your policies, procedures. Make sure you have the compliance set up correctly for your new business and your new business model today. That's really, really important to have that in place. The second aspect is around the security, the security of systems. Following on from the first point, we're all online now. If you weren't before COVID, 99% of the business, I would suggest, are probably on that. Look at your security standards. Have you got Cyber Essentials? If you're a bigger company, have you got the ISO or NIST security standards? Also be very aware about we're moving into the world where like financial audits happen once a year, we're moving into the world where we will have annual technology audits. So for the bigger business, be very aware that this is going to be mandated through the Jersey Financial Services Commission. Guernsey has started with their new cybersecurity rules in 2021 all around the NIST framework. So understanding it's not going away, but you will have to continue to do audits. The third one is just around Brexit and the international transfer of data. That's going to come to a head in the next couple of weeks. So just understand, do you have data flowing from Jersey to the US? What does that mean for you? Just understand that. And does the UK get the adequacy status that's actually required? For the bigger businesses who do a lot of processing, of data, personal data, whether it's monitoring or marketing or processing special category data. Do not forget about the appointment of an EU representative. We are in Jersey, we're not in the EU. If you're of a certain size, certain scale, certain activity, you must appoint an EU representative. And be careful because you need to consider whether you need to appoint a UK representative as well. So that's going to be very important. And just remind us, the special categories of data are? Special categories of data are around, number one, religion. It's around uh, sexuality, medical records, your health records, trade union membership, for instance. So all of those sensitive areas would be within the special category sections. I just had one more then was, it was just really about GDPR issues in particular, so handling data subject rights. So if I take the first one, for instance, if I glance to the UK ICO report for 2019-2020, what was the biggest area of complaints? It was around mishandling subject access requests. And that's something for businesses to be very aware of. Now that we've come out of the COVID restrictions, where there was an understanding from the regulators not to pursue those in in an aggressive way, but understand that post-COVID-19, where we've all had to do our track and trace and where is our data, COVID-19 in particular has destroyed data protection in many ways because we've given so much information. I think what we'll now experience in the next 18 months is the concern of the data subject wanting to get back the data or certainly delete the data when it's not required going forward. So just understanding data subject access requests are going to be, I think, on the increase. And I think for businesses to really understand how are they going to deal with 
Do you have the systems? Are your people properly trained? And do you have the documentation that's required to fulfill those subject access requests? So they're quite an important area for business to look at. You referred there to special categories of data. Just remind us, um, what are those categories? Yes, so special category data is the highest risk data, the one that must be protected the most. It covers key areas like ethnic origin, trade union membership, political opinions, religious or philosophical beliefs, genetic data, and understand how that would be very, very uh, key. Health data is linked to that. Biometric data. So this is where you have all the cases coming in with facial recognition and then sexual orientation and information around a person's sex life. So the highest categories of information that need protection. Once again, Brian Siney from Be Secure. Thank you ever so much for spending some time talking about the world of data protection. Now, if you're in business here in Jersey or indeed anywhere else, I hope you found this useful and stimulating. And if you'd like more information and advice on data protection, head to besecure-consultants.com. And of course, you can listen to other podcasts in this series, Privacy Matters, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Channel 103 website, channel103.com. Listen to other episodes of Privacy Matters wherever you get your podcasts. And for expert advice on data protection and privacy, visit besecure-consultants.com.